This is Joseph Gervaisi. I'm here with Rodney Linderman, a.k.a. Rodney Anonymous. Today is September 28th, 2013. We're recording this uh, at Rodney and Vienna's uh, lovely house in Center City, Philadelphia, and this is part of Loud Fast Philly. Hello, Rodney. Hello. Okay. Hello. We've been sitting here drinking tea. Yeah. That's stuff that people don't get to hear. It's like when you when you do like a, a video interview or anything like that, there's all the stuff that they don't get to see and mm-hmm. they don't get to hear. You didn't badmouth anybody, which is good. Right. But if people badmouth somebody before you, everybody's going, well, what you didn't get to hear? <laughs> Tell them really bad. Yeah. I badmouth everybody. So, uh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. I, I will badmouth. I will probably badmouth somebody during everyone. What do you I, have to say about Mayor Nutter? Oh, Mayor Nutter's a complete asshole. I mean, really, uh, you know, you have Comcast in this city, which now runs the city. Comcast, if you're the, the Democratic mayor of a city in the Northeast, it's pretty much, unless they catch you with a dead girl or a live boy, or a dead boy or a live girl, now probably, you know, live. Yeah, dead girl, life boy. Um, you're you're going to keep stay in office, and maybe even then. Uh, so what happened is, Mayor Nutter, we get this law up, and this is something I've been fighting him on. Um, we get this law up that says, you know, we should be able to have if you work in a large enough company, you should get three sick days off. Three sick days. Think about like the food industry, for example. Do you want people who work in the food industry coming into work sick? Yeah, hot you know, yeah, and, and, and the and the people that work mm-hmm. the hardest are the people who don't get these days. The people that clean your bathrooms, the people, you know, these are the, these are the real these are people who hold three or four jobs. They deserve three sick days off, but Comcast just to flex their muscle, did not want that rule because Mayor Nutter is the mayor from Comcast. He basically says, you know, well, I will do what they say. And yeah, I mean, and then, you know, and, and you want to hear me badmouth somebody, the fucking roots go and play this guy's, you know, inaugural thing. You know, we should be throwing tomatoes at them for that. So yeah, so fuck Questlove. There we go. How's President that for a start? Any yeah. thoughts? Oh, fucking, uh, fucking the, one of the best Republican presidents we've ever had. Uh, I voted for Jill Stein. Um, you know, from the Green, the Green Party, Party? Okay. And, and Jill Stein ran with Sherry Honkala as her vice president. But because we're not allowed to know about these things, we're, um, you know, here we are in Philly. We had a Philadelphian running for vice president and got very little to no coverage. Um, you know, President Obama is basically Ronald Reagan. You know, people think that, oh, it's, you know, when he, he misses on this, that's what's upset. No, what upsets us, there's a great piece on You Are Dumb the other week. What upsets us, and it said the same thing, what upsets us are his successes. You know, right now he's got his, he's, you know, out there with the drones. He's got his Justice Department out there defending a law or, or defending uh, a case in which people want to start mentioning Jesus in their in their prayers and municipal things. You know, right now they can mention God. It's kind of, we know who they're talking about, but, they, you know, it's Mr. Jesus. But they can't actually explicitly say that. Now they can which I think is going to be great because I'm going to go to a municipal council meeting and spout off about Charles Nelson Riley and how he saved souls. So yeah, so that's what happens. If you get me started, I'm so <laughs> angry. I prefer the, I used to say, I'm not angry, I'm passionate. No, I'm just so angry. I get angrier every day. Like you would think by a certain point, shit would have settled out, you know? There would have been nothing to be angry about. It's like, oh, this is, this is, you know, stuff's beginning to make sense. And some stuff does get better, but just the level of stupidity uh, is just, you know, I can't believe it that people don't write songs about this. For me, like, stupid people are my bread and butter. <laughs> Every day is a gift from them. Do you think you'll be wearing a tinfoil hat when you're 70? No, I don't, because I'm not a conspiracy person. I'm not one of those people, I, and, and it's sad to me. That's something that really sounds me off. I'm not one of those people that, like, you know, well, the, the, the Bush administration was behind 9-11. Like, mm-hmm. no, they weren't, because it worked. You know, the, the bus those planes yeah, would have never left. Yeah, yeah they weren't, you know, or, or just, I mean, you know, uh, you know, basically Big Pharma is, is plotting against us and just, 
Oh, just the, 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 you know, there's, there is definite stuff to be upset about. Things like fracking, that's, that's valid. Global warming, valid. Hillbillies who don't believe in evolution, you know, <laughs> fire's hot, ice is cold, evolution is a fact, deal with it. Uh, the fact that the Kitzmiller case actually took place in our home state of Pennsylvania, there's a lot of stuff we should be out, pissed off about. I mean, really pissed off about. I'm, I'm amazed that, that people are not angry. It's, it's fascinating to me. Like, how do you get up and not be angry every day? Let's go back to when you oh, were sorry. a baby. Yes, when I was <laughs> we'll, a baby, yes. We'll begin at the beginning. Um, okay, so why don't you tell me uh, where you were born and when? I was born, in, actually, we played there last, a week before last. Was, I was born in Westchester, PA. But I grew up in Coatesville, which is a steel town, which was in the news a lot in the last couple of years. We had a series of fires there, about 90 of them, I think. And it turned out the assistant fire chief was setting them. Oh. Um, the, um, to give him something to do? Or yeah, I, I, well, that's, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely job security if you're the guy you yeah, know, yeah. doing the fires and setting them. And they had, uh, um, then they recently, a guy moved into where I grew up, close to where I grew up. Uh, down the street from where I grew up, they found some uh, group of people who were slaughtering dogs and decorating their houses with them. Uh, after that, we recently had two people not fired. They were allowed to quit. It was the athletic director, and I think assistant athletic director, uh, who had been exchanging racist and sexist text messages on school profiles. First of all, Blackberries. Who the hell has a Blackberry? That's like, I've got a mimeograph machine, you know, and a teletype. They had it to, you know, what does it say? It says dot, 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 dash, dash. So... And they, they just got, and what they did, the school board did, was they let them resign instead of firing them because they said that it was actually cheaper to do this because there might be a lawsuit and stuff. And I thought, what a great thing to say to the kids. You know, if you have a choice between the right thing, which is more expensive, and the wrong thing, which is cheaper, do the wrong, cheaper thing. Mm -hmm. So that, is, and that's the recent history of the town I grew up in. I mean, so what, what was the town like when you were growing up? It was up pretty there? rough. It was a steel town, and it's always been a steel town. In the 30s, they used to set up towers with lights on them again not making any of this up so that people couldn't have union meetings they would shine the light on any three people or more talking and send some goon out to bust it up uh the steel industry by the 70s they brought a bunch of cheap japanese steel dumped on the market so the steel industry was over so what had been sort of a vibrant town was this ghost town Mm -hmm. uh, to this day i mean I, I i i have this love of decay and, and well probably why i live in philly uh, it, so the steel mill was kind of emptied out. By that point, it had been automated anyway. My father uh, worked there, and he basically would run whole sections of it kind of by himself by push button. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's uh, and he worked his way up from digging ditches uh, to uh, to an executive spot. I think he was one of the last non college educated executives that they kind of allowed to have. My uh, my mother was a uh, was an executive secretary for a, a president of a paper company. So you know, we weren't we weren't rich, but we weren't we weren't broke. But there were definitely uh, it was uh, sort of the, I would say it was the last feudal society. Mm -hmm. There were very rich families, not many sort of middle-class families and a lot of poor families. And the rich families were allowed to do whatever they wanted. There was a kid who began driving at the age of 14 or 15. He had a car. I, I, now, the reason I know this car is because a friend of mine fucked it up one night coming <laughs> back from a party. Just, I mean, not, you know how you hear the term keyed? He uh -huh. nailed it. I mean, with an actual nail. Yeah. And... He was he he didn't just settle for a nail. He went and he found the rustiest like six penny nail he could and just drug it up and down the thing. But the guy had a license plate that said Racia, and I swear he had a, a 
a head that looked like a Rococo bedpost. It was, it was, you can imagine that sort of odd shape. And yeah, somebody pointed that out to me once when I was younger. I just loved that. There's a head like, it's got a head like a Rococo bedpost, which is, so that was what my town was like. I always said Twin Peaks had, when I started watching Twin Peaks, I'm like, that town is much better than my town. So growing up there, you, you, we're almost, I'm surprised that there aren't a lot more musicians that came out of that town because you really, you were just surrounded by this weirdness and maybe we began to accept it or something, but it, it's definitely part of my DNA. Now, I'm not sure if you gave me the year and if you did, forgive oh. me, but what year was it that you were born? Oh, I was born in 1963. I turned 50 this year. Okay. All right. Yeah. 50 is the greatest age ever. Mm -hmm. I, I, when, you're, when you're young, you think, oh man, 50 is going to suck. And then you get to be 50, you're like, this is pretty fucking cool. I've actually done like... I think more in the last two years than I did in the first like forty eight. So I've why do you why do you think that is? I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead a bit, but why do you think at fifty you do more now? Uh, it's just it's just a, a conflagration of of uh, the internet basically allows me to do more and technology. Mm -hmm. uh, before this, I never get to meet people, or you you know you get to tour and stuff, but you couldn't work with them. Now, if I work with somebody, I've got upstairs. I've got what would have been for probably. And, and they, they I, I wish they um, had sponsored me before I bought all this stuff, but they did sponsor me. It's really nice. Uh, FL Studio, and I have all my keyboards and stuff up there. The, the number of tracks I have on my studio would have cost you probably in the 70s and 80s a, like a million-dollar studio. I get, to, I get to do all this stuff at home. Uh, my friends will say, hey, let's collaborate on this. We'll shoot stuff. We'll put it in Dropbox. I've worked with people that I've never met, actually physically never met, and I've you know remixed their stuff, or I've guessed it on it, or you know it's to me that's absolutely fascinating. So it gives me a chance to do all that, and it's just that's kind of gotten me out and meeting a lot of people and just you know getting out of the house a lot more. Yeah, it seems like you have a lot of energy, and it needs to be put into some kind of. Well, I didn't you know, do anything for for sixteen years. There's no band for sixteen years. It, it, the worst thing in the world is to have something you really enjoy, and there's a lot of times I didn't enjoy it, but it's something that you becomes part of you and, and, and it becomes part of your life and you just can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. you, know, you don't have the band and you're just, you know, say, okay, well, that's done and I'll just go do something else. I wish more musicians would stop for a while. I think music would be better if people just said, okay, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to go work somewhere else mm -hmm. and I'm going to recharge and come back. Right, right. Yeah. Right now, it's just people who are making records so they can stay on the road. Mm -hmm. Absolutely horrible shit. So we'll go back again to... I'm going to talk about young Rodney for a few minutes. Oh, yeah. um, so growing up in this town, as you say, you know, yeah. very peculiar town, uh, feudalistic. Uh, what were you like uh, as a young man? You know, kind of. We'll talk about so kind of pre-punk, like. Oh. You know, growing up, what, what is young Rodney like? What are you What are you reading, listening uh, to? What are oh, interests? I was probably the shortest one in my class. I didn't read a lot. I think I was functionally illiterate until I was thirty. Um, I, you know, I tried to read a lot. Um, I was we. I was kind of geographically isolated. Um, I had a lot of interesting friends as I got older. My friends were, I tend to gravitate towards very sort of uh, insane out there people. My best friend, uh, my friend Smitty, I met because I was about 12 or 13. I was walking down the street and he had an air pistol. or uh, well, Not really an air pistol. Well, it was powered by air, but it's a little carbon cartridge mm -hmm. that goes into it. CO2 cartridge. And I remember just walking up by him. And um, he said, he said, hi, um, did you know the first shot from a CO2 gun is strong as hell? And I said, no. And he pointed it at the windshield of a car, fired it and shattered it. Yes. And I was just like, <laughs> I love that. I, because it was, first of all, it was a sob. And that was his, his, his 
reasoning was, he goes, I hate those cars. If I don't have this with me, I kick in the grill. And he's and he was a genius. I mean, high IQ, you know, went went on to, to Temple, a just very, very smart individual. And I just find people like that fascinating. So um, I but I was never I was the kid that they, kids would go to to come up with an excuse. I, I was able to kind of because I'm the shortest one in my class. And in order to keep from getting beat up, you had to think on your feet a lot. And mm-hmm. um, I went to school in the sort of, you know, the rougher junior high, and, 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 and so you were going to get robbed and beaten, and you just had to avoid that. And so what I would do is, like, I would say, you know, think, like, well, you know, and so I'd go to Mugman and say, well, you do know that, you know, the teacher's about to come around the corner, you know, and these kids usually aren't very bright. The kids that are beating you up are so dumb, you could probably talk them into beating themselves up. <laughs> yeah. So they... Uh, um, so I would, they, kids would call me and they'd say, oh man, we were out the other night and you know, we got caught doing this or that. And I'd say, okay, here's what you tell and then I would come up with something like, all right, you picked up a hitchhiker, right? The hitchhiker, you know, it was his beer. He had, you were really afraid. So this kind of saves your ass. Yeah, it, was, it, 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 it made me, yeah, it was, um, you know how they have the prison lawyer? I was like uh-huh. the prison lawyer yeah, in yeah. high school. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah, my parents used to call me the bullshit lawyer because I'd always come up with excuses for my brother. Or yeah, there you go. Yeah, case, it is. Which, which never worked. But. It is totally. It is. Well, see, I think I could have probably bullshitted my way. My parents... Not so much they would have known I was bullshitting, but they would have appreciated it so much. They're like, well, you went the extra mile there, son, so yeah, we're going to let you go. Okay. I remember coming home one time when I was young on acid, and my, my, my dad was a sphinx and my mom was a porpoise or something. And you you know, you know, go to take your coat off and you throw it on the chair, and you miss by a mile. Or it makes that $6 million man sound as you're that's You have to get out of situations like that. A lot of times, if you survive those years and you're living like that then you can pretty much do anything when you get to college you're like shit this is this is going to be a cakewalk you're going to try to stop me from bringing beer in here oh buddy you don't know i will find a way to get it in yeah i'm always interested in people's formulative drug experiences so were there drugs that you gravitated towards as a young person no i actually and i don't like drugs that's the thing i do not um and I'm, i'm really down on people that do them now um I get well. One thing is uh, now I get upset with people that smoke pot because uh, they smoke it around my equipment. In other words, if you, I don't want you smoking pot anywhere near my. Um, first of all, not taking drugs, not being drunk, stuff like that is a lesson I learned much too late in life, and I learned it very painfully. But if, just for the pot thing, when people sit around and smoke pot, they always talk about the shit they're going to do. Oh man, you know I got this really great idea. What we're going to do? We're going to build a harp. It's 92 feet high, and the strings are made from the flesh of those who have wronged us. You're never going to do this. This is they, they never. Uh, and I don't like I don't like any drug that makes you mellow. Uh-huh. I, I'm I, I like alcohol because it makes you violent. <laughs> you know. And there was a whole talk about that. Somebody was saying that Western drugs make you violent and hyped up like alcohol, and Eastern drugs make you mellow. I don't want I don't want to be mellow. I have no desire to be that way i want to you know get shit done and again with when i was a kid everybody smoked pot i never smoked a lot of pot in my life um i think the last time i smoked pot i'm 50 now i think i smoked it oh god maybe 20 years ago um because uh i was at a place we used to have in philly called old hickory and the guys from uh the cyclone rangers were out back and i don't think they were smoking pot but somebody went back there was smoking pot i didn't want to look uncool mm-hmm. and of course they weren't smoking it so i'm like i wound up looking uncool so i took a hit that was the last time um yeah i don't um the, you probably don't need any methamphetamine no you so don't no, like i don't from, need meth but, but what, what about uh like something like lsd like a hallucinogenic LSD, or yeah a psychedelic? i did yeah well I, again you take those because you hear about them 
You know, it's a mind-expanding drug. Or you watch Altered States when you're like 17 and go, I know, I'll take this drug and I'll turn into a gorilla. It'll be great. And you, in many ways too. I took this thing one time called, I, I haven't seen it ever since. I'm one of the few people that ever took it. And I once told a neurologist that I'd taken it and, and the guy turned eight shades of pale. Just, ah, went totally ashen. Called STP. I was high for like oh, three yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. The, the, it was also the Stones touring party where they named the, Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, don't, don't take that. Um, it was a super hallucinogen. Yeah, like a, yeah, a I didn't know that. Yeah. LSD. Yeah. yeah. One time a friend of mine were on, I forget, we were on everything. I mean, like a mixture of, you know, we, we, we basically, you know, whatever hallucinogen. I think we were, we were eating uh, shrooms. We had done Rush, you know, the, the, the nitrous stuff. Yeah. We were doing everything we could get our hands on. I think he had his hands on some Coke or something. And we were in a grocery store. And I just remember him going berserk about Hawaiian Punch Red. How red isn't a goddamn flavor. Orange, you can have orange. Orange is a flavor and a color, but and he's trying to report it. <laughs> this poor, you know, like night clerk at this, you know, like the guy's cleaning the aisle. It's like, yeah, yeah. sir, sir, do you realize what they're doing here? And I was, ah, uh, so yeah, that's basically. But um, now I have like all these. First of all, I, I don't do drugs. I don't recommend them to anybody because life's a lot stranger when you're not on them. I don't have any problem with people doing them. Uh, the only thing I say, we probably have people smoking pot around my equipment because then what happens is you get a, uh, you know, those things are just perfect for, the, the particles of smoke are just perfect for taking out a hard drive, hmm. which is why smoking was actually removed from the workplace. Had nothing to do with work or health. They didn't give a shit about health. It's when computers came in, smoking had to go out. Uh, but I always notice that, that people don't think they play better when they're on something. They never do. Um, I have a problem. If I start drinking, I can't stop. And uh, uh, which doesn't stop me from drinking. So what I'll do is I have a rule where I say, okay, I don't drink for 24 hours before a show. Even tonight, if I'm just singing a song with somebody, I won't touch anything. And then what I'll do is uh, at the end, if we've got like three or four shows in a row, I always ask, you know, where's the best club in town? There's a nice goth industrial club I can go to. And then I go there and I have quite a few. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so a place that uh, um, that Donna from Ego Likeness turned us on to uh, called the Crack Fox, and it was our first and only. Well, actually, we've had two after parties. The last one was bowling, and I got it's the Crack Fox from the uh, Mighty Boosh. From the Mighty Boosh, yeah. I actually had never seen it until I was like, "What a great name!" This this, this place in, in St. Louis is amazing. So they named themselves after the Boosh. After the Boosh yeah, thing, yeah. With with yeah, when we get inside, I'm going to hurt you. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wow. the, the Crack Fox. Yes, if you ever get a chance, if you're in St. Louis, go there. It was the first time we ever ever had an after party and fortunately the show was incredible st louis joe said st louis was a an alternative universe where we're famous because people were couldn't get into the show were coming down to sit in the parking lot we were out at dinner and people were coming up and taking our picture it's a really great feeling uh and you know they're like we, we don't mean to disturb you i'm like wait you're coming up to say something nice to me and hang out and you want you want to pay attention that's not disturbing anybody that if somebody comes up and they try to be nice to them. You know, a fan says anybody that's rude to a fan should have their teeth extracted one at a time until they learn their lesson. We had a bus driver who had driven around, sort of famous guitarist, and he told us a story about this kid had come and he wanted the guitarist to sign his guitar. And the guitarist picked it up and I was a piece of shit and threw it on the ground. The kid was crying. And that's when I came up with my theory. You can play an instrument, but if you're like that, you're not a musician. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be able to play three chords, enjoy it, and be nice to people. You know, the Ramones were, for all intents and purposes, musicians. If you ran into the Ramones, they were usually in a pretty good mood. They, they were polite. And, but this guy was, you know, he could, he could play every scale there is, but he, but he wasn't. I don't know how the hell we got from where we started. <laughs> yeah, through I suppose through the like crack that. box. Yeah, we yeah. started with somehow me as a kid and ended up, this is my problem. I can't stay on topic. <laughs> 
All right, so you were a kid, uh, and then you weren't a kid anymore. I wasn't a kid but, anymore, no. no I and listener, being... we are drinking tea. Yeah, I, yeah. I became a man at one point. Yes. Uh, I went to the shower and realized things had changed. <laughs> now, was there a priest involved? No, there was no priest involved. No, okay. I, no my, my family were, were agnostic, and I had that benefit. Yeah, going that's good. Up, yeah. Uh, all right, so eventually, I suppose that the seeds of some sort of deviant music wind up coming into your head, be it punk or other yeah. peculiar sounds of, uh, I guess, the 1970s or with. Yeah, 60s. first it was Frank Zappa. Right. Um, I, I don't know how I found that. Good place to start. Excuse me? A good place to start. A great place to start was Sofa, um, one and two. Uh, I remember, like, we, we always talk about like, the record that changed your life, and there are several of them. And the first time you hear, when you're a kid, it's hard to explain to kids now. But when you're turning on the radio, and, it, and the worst time, in, the worst times in music were 1974 and now. And 19 and actually, there's uh, uh, Joe always said that the worst time in music was 1974. And I found all these essays by people that agreed with him that were saying, you know, these writers also said. And so the radio was horrible then. It was all this really sugared down, almost sort of, you know, where they taken psychedelic psychedelia and made it family friendly, and it was just. Terrible, terrible stuff on the radio. Uh, stuff like you know, seasons in the sun and all Jack that. Jack, so yeah. yeah, so you know, you know mm. something's wrong. But you're a kid. You don't know. It's like Barry Manilow. You don't know. You know it's not for you. And then I begin to hear Frank Zappa. You begin to think, well, there's something else out there. And then a great revelation came for me when my old my older sister. I found it. I had a copy of Cream magazine. You know, like wow. You start to get older. You start getting interested in rock. So I'm. Maybe about 13 at this time, 12 or 13. I get this Cream magazine and the Dead Boys. You open it up and the Dead Boys are in it. And the Dead Boys had taken a moving van and it said, Move yourself. And they crossed out self and wrote ass. And I just, I love that because you couldn't see Barry Manilow doing that. You didn't. Yeah. All of a sudden, this light bulb goes off like, Wait a minute, there's something else out there. So I asked my older sister who had horrible taste in music. And I said, What, what this band, the Dead Boys? What, what about them? She goes, Oh, they're not a good band like Fleetwood Mac. So, like, right then, and again, to this day, this is this proves my point about how bad music was in '74 and now the parallel pitchfork, which I think is is the thing that damages music most right now. Um, really, it, it, pitchfork, they re-released rumors, and pitchfork gave it 10 out of 10, and that happened on our watch. We people sat around. We should have organized and just stormed that place. But it is an individual's opinion. I mean, no, 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 no. Okay, you go to the art museum. All right, you don't see pictures of sad children with big eyes. There is a certain standard. All right, a certain standard to which things should be held, and that standard should say that that. Rumors, Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, is a piece of shit and should not be celebrated. But what happens is once they let that in and say, oh, it's okay to like this, this is actually really, really good despite what other people have told you, then it's okay to like Animal Collective. Then it's okay to like, you know, you know Best Coast. Then it's okay to like all this other stuff that sounds like Fleetwood Mac. Then you begin to get this roll, you know, this, this sort of trickle-down thing where you've got one company in Philly that books all the shows. And what they're going to book? They're going to book what Pitchfork what, what likes. Would that be? I'm not going to say no because I actually like them as people. But um, you, they don't book all the shows, but they they tend to book um, what I like to you know sort of uh, um, I, I call it pretty music for pretty people. But it's uh, I took that from actually somebody I ran into a club, so I swiped that. It's not my saying, um, but the uh, um, basically what you get is you get you know we've never suffered adversity. Let's rock, you know. I'm, I'm called Francis. She's Francine. I play the spoon. She plays the accordion. We're from Brooklyn. It's wacky. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to vomit in my mouth. And, and it's weird. We had, it was weird. They actually, the only two things I know of that they liked 
gave good reviews to her, actually were good, Zola Jesus, and that's how Zola Jesus got to play in Philly, and Youth Code. Now, I'm, I'm out of town when Youth Code played, but I would have loved to have been here for Youth Code. But that's, nobody talks about this. That is the weird thing. I I started out about a year ago, I Bard and Sphere were in town. See, yeah, I can't stay on topic, but I'm just so amazed that nobody talks about this. I Bard and Sphere were in town. All I wanted, all I fucking wanted was somebody to write a piece about the fucking Ivarden Sphere show. It was Ivarden Sphere, it was ESA, uh, and the DJ was, was there, and uh, um, and uh, uh, Jaris Khan. Um, oh God, why am I blanking on uh, what Jaris is, calls himself? Um, I will remember. Oh, um, oh, adversary. And you know, this is a, this is the only time uh, on that whole tour when everybody was part of it. All I wanted was somebody just to put a little blurb and say this is happening. So, uh, I mean, can you write this thing? I mean, you're someone that, that yeah, I could, but I mean, yeah. Well, I, 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 I later on, I, and that, that's what I do now. If somebody asks me to write something, instead of money, what I say is, look, I'll tell you what, I'll write this for you, but I want you to run another piece about something else that's happening because otherwise you won't. Otherwise, you'll write a thing about, you know, again, you know, the happy Brooklyn music that comes to town, but you won't write about, you know, we, we don't even, underground bands don't even come to Philly anymore. I can show you, and, and they had a, um, a film crew here for, uh, interviewed me for a film called uh, um, Philly's Not Dead, and I, I, I sort of printed it out, I meant to before, I feel bad, I was going to just take a thing and show them, like, look, here's Angel Spit, all right, look, here they are, they're going to New York, now you see D.C., Baltimore, Lancaster. People would just skip Philly. And, and, and even like Emily Autumn, you know, not the most hardcore. I have a lot of respect for Emily Autumn. I, I love her stuff, you know, but these people would just totally fucking skip Philly because un, unless you're this sort of twee, happy, non, you know, uh, non-aggressive uh, hipster music, you cannot, there's no place for you to play here. There is a big basement show scene in Philadelphia that seems to have been kind of taking up some of the slack that R5, who is surely what you were talking about before, has kind of, you know, not been able to handle or, or is elected not to, you know, uh, give shows to, for whatever reasons, yeah. you know, have kind of picked up some of the more underground, well, the basement band. No, a lot of the so-called underground stuff that is the basement stuff is shit. Well, I mean, that's purely subjective. I mean, no, it's not purely those, subjective. Well, the people no. who are at those shows surely don't think that it's shit or else they wouldn't be there. Right, but the people, but the people who are at the Justin Bieber show don't think it's shit. You know, I think I think I should be allowed. I I should be the arbiter of taste. So I really just, do. Just you. Yeah, just me because I think I've been through enough. I, if you go through my record collection, it's really good. You go through my movie collection, it's really good. You know what I'm saying? All, I, all the books I have are really good. Nobody ever comes over and goes, oh, this is no, 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 no. So this is pure fascism I'm, I'm of taste. Sure it's it's it, but it should be. It should be. It, it should be. There's we we and again, I'm going to the the, the Fran Lebowitz idea that. Um, she was said that the reason that stuff fell, that culture began to fall, was AIDS took out the people who were the sort of arbiters of taste for, for high culture. In other words, if, if Maria Callas went, and you people listening can't see this, I'm moving my finger an inch. If she went, ah, oh, instead of, oh, or whatever, uh, and I'm just concentrating on my finger, those who can't see it, um, these people would know it. They, they'd be shocked and horrified. These were the people who were getting laid. These were the cultural arbiters, and they, they're gone. And then so the sort of second tier went in and they didn't know as much. And so you have that. I think what happened was this, this group of people disappeared who knew music and would talk about it. And this other group came in and they, they were kind of okay with, with talking. I mean, now it's weird. When I do uh, the, the city paper I write for won't run my fucking top 10 every year because it's not Vampire Weekend. It's not, it's not the stuff who advertises. 
right? It's not, you know, it's it's not the stuff that, that they... Oh, you're saying I can't be the arbiter of, of taste. Why the fuck should they get to be? Why the fuck should, when I go to um, celebrity, should I get to see story after story of, of you know, shoegazing Beardo who's come to town? I'm not saying that music sucks, per se, and maybe well, I you am. are kind of saying that. I, well, I'm just because I'm angry, all right? Yeah. You know, I think you have a right to hear but that. You have, but you have access I to have the a right to say. I have a right to say... You're wrong. This is terrible, and it's also keeping good music out of the city. Your your right to swing your fist ends at my nose. Okay, my right to see I Vardensphere. Okay, ends when they don't come here because they you know eight people showed up. Now, fortunately, we got a lot of people to that show, but just trying to get somebody right about it, nobody would. Now, a lot of people said, "Well, it happened on the Fourth of July. We we're out for this and out for that." But my my thing now is, all right, I did it for uh, celebrity. They wanted a piece on this sort of spat David Lowry was having with somebody. You know, big, you know, I don't care. And uh, he's a nice guy, but you know, doesn't but I said, "Okay, do that, but then I get to write about the uh, um you know, I'd like to write about the upcoming uh, Ego Likeness Leather Strip show, which they let me do, but the uh the sad thing was they ran it like on a Thursday down and gone and uh, um and it's a shame cause it was one of the best shows I'd been to in years. You know, people uh, I keep telling people, you're living in a golden age of underground music. You're just not allowed to know that particularly in Philadelphia. You're not allowed to know that there are all these amazing bands out there. Well, I mean, the individual can look and see what, what's around. I mean, they've yeah. got access to more information. They have access to more information, but they don't even... I think it might be an overwhelming kind of thing. And they have access... Well, again, access to more information, but what's more information if I go to, to eight different websites that are all pushing the same kind of music? You know, the, I, but the other websites are there if the individual elects to look for them. I mean, there's you certainly have more know, information available than in a pre-internet age where people really had to kind of dig to find. I would have no idea what the hell was going on. Kind of have often. to dig to find, I think, because it's it's you know I know where to go to find this stuff. I know that when I come home on Monday night, I go to I Die You Die. They have their tracks up, and I get to hear all sorts of great new shit. That's wonderful. Um, but I think it's it's a matter of ease. Um, there are certain you know bigger websites, that, you know, and and you know there's. Rolling Stone just gave up a long time ago. You know, when you walk by and you see uh, Mumford and Sons on the cover of Rolling Stone, you know they don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like every every week it's like Mumford and Sons or Bruce Springsteen, you know, mm-hmm. and then Jack White. They just they rotate those, you know, three people. And you're just looking at that and you're thinking, this magazine used to mean something at one point, didn't it? It's been a while, though. Uh, no, but, I, but when I was a kid, you would read shit like Charles M. Young went to this convention of these people called the Ignoroids. And they, they were vanners, but they didn't really work hard on their vans. They just liked to get fucked up. And they sent, they took a bunch of crawling baby dolls once and set them on fire. And, and I just remember that image being in my head. This was stuff that you would read or, or, you know, you really couldn't read about the Ramones in too many other places or punk when it first broke, you know. And that was, that was it. My, my big hope right now for music is that a bubble will burst. I was about, like, I'm going to say 14 or so when, when disco burst. And a lot of people, you know, if you, if you don't live through these things, you don't remember how joyous it is when something collapses. Like the fall of the Roman Empire, we think, you know, it must have been rough for the Romans, which it was. But for my ancestors living in the forest of Germany, there was probably a nice effect from it. They probably, you know, they brought them up. Uh, the same way as somebody once said that for uh, the lobsters in the galley, the sinking of the Titanic must have seemed like a miracle. It must have, oh, we're free, this is wonderful. And I like that image, so... My, my present hope is that um, what will happen is that like disco burst. And when disco burst, 
all this weird, nobody knew what to do. The music industry panics. And it takes a while before the music industry can do its reset back to pop. So what happens is they'll, they'll just scramble for anything. So when disco fell, all of a sudden, like the B-52s, the B-52s, again, young people don't believe this, were a radical fucking band in 1979. The, the idea that you know this weird-ass band was out there, I, I had to have a t-shirt with like the B-52s on the back, and people would punch the back of it and go, you like that punk shit? You know, and you can't imagine, that's yeah. like imagine getting beat up for like the flock of seagulls or something. Yeah. And they were, they were. I, I actually love Space Age Love Song, but they were, that's, this. It, it, one system had fallen. And so all of a sudden you had stuff like Patti Smith. You know, you could actually see Patti Smith on TV, uh, which to me was amazing. The Clash. I, re I remember The Clash, the first time they were on TV, they, they were my absolute favorite band, probably still are, but I picked the best band ever. They were on a show called Fridays. I remember all of us, like you know, my friends coming over to my house just to wait just to see The Clash play on TV. It's weird in an age of YouTube and stuff where you can just see these bands. Yeah, yeah. But what we used to go through to actually see a band live and see what they look like so that fell and that was that was a fascinating time for me because all the stuff was out there and then eventually they reset and they had this sort of you know poppy stuff was back the industry could be fine with that and then they they had like a i guess like hair metal and stuff like that and then that kind of gave way they found that they could market grunge and uh, which is horrible horrible music and then they when that fell then there was like another brief gap and you had like Rasputina and the Dresden Dolls. These people beginning to kind of work their way through the cracks. And then like they, now they paved that over with the hipster stuff. They said, okay, we'll have, you can have non-conventional instruments, but you have to play these sort of happy songs and, and not be very interesting and don't make any waves. And I think what happens is when that bubble burst, I don't know what comes next, but if you think I'm angry and hyper, wait up. You got no fucking idea what the people I know are like. Yeah, so, but yeah. This industry becomes kind of increasingly more impotent as the years go on. Their control yeah. as, as arbiters of taste diminishes because they're not going to put the money out to put these things out there because no one really paid no, back. But, but they still have, there's still somebody out there putting this stuff out. They have an investment in it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? There's still, if, if you look who's playing the clean clubs, these people are not, tend not to be crowd sourced you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. i think it was one of the reasons they they fucking stuck it to amanda palmer was because amanda palmer one of the biggest fingers of all time we talk about punk rock give her some fucking credit you know she 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 flipped off the music industry and what did they do like if you when you begin to see you know reviews and stuff they kind of made sure that her record was pushed down she should have really that that that's a great record it was my second favorite record of that year um it was absolutely brilliant i i you know, I give her many props. It was a very daring record. But because, you know, she was, for for all the reasons that, that you know, that the, the music industry now likes its women covered up. If you're going to sing a song it's about how bad your, your boyfriend was, you have to be completely non-sexual. And here's Amanda Palmer out there naked, you know, singing, yes. you know, her head off about like, you know, all sorts of like that song Melody Dean is freaking insane you know she's singing a song about screwing another woman and it's just like the record companies you know they they don't want that they want they like a nice smooth things i think things got out of hand once for them you know they begin to see stuff like Jimi hendrix on the charts in the 60s and there was a meeting so we have to stamp this down mm -hmm. so now we'll have the association and you know they'll sing windy and that'll be fine and then we'll and take it that way i mean i really i know it, it sounds like crazy conspiracy theoryism but somebody should really look into this and say wait a minute why is this that that this has to be the music and maybe just from living in philly makes you that way because you know there was punk was suppressed here there was one radio really two radio stations that played nothing but um what do we call that sort of rock that that aor sort of it, the, the so-called classic rock yeah classic yeah, rock yeah. it so would be 
93. Yeah, 94, yeah. 93. 93.3 MMR, which blotted out everything on, on that fucking side of the radio. You know, you, you couldn't, it was a, it was all night, if you tried to listen to NPR or anything, I, I always wonder what would happen if there's like some sort of warning on the other stations, like flee the town, it wasn't on MMR, because Springsteen had dropped by, that, yeah, that was, and there was YSP, which is horrifying too, and they controlled, I mean, really, these guys, you know, they had a vested interest in not letting any sort of new music in town, because the DJs didn't know it, they panicked. When, when that old system fell, I always tell when an old system falls because my phone rings. And when that old system fell, you know, people who we just met, you know, casually and stuff would call and go, well, you know, can you tell me a little bit about punk? Can you tell me, like, you know, this Johnny Rotten guy, they take it because Nirvana, they considered punk and they were trying to catch up and get this stuff out there. So, um, yeah, they, they, that system, and we had, again, you know, a couple clubs owned by one guy, and they would push their bands, and just getting a, a place to play here, just, you know, we practiced for years before we could even find, you know, a place to have a gig. And so I guess when we say, yeah. well, we'll go back, oh, let's say yeah, we, you know, you're talking about yeah. the Dead Milkman, yeah. um, when you talk about the, the yeah. early, how Dead Milkman came together, the early kind of formation of the oh. band, I know there's been yeah. some interest in the fictitious years. From oh, the, the fictitious Gennaro years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interview, so maybe you can yeah. address that oh, a little bit as well. Oh, the fictitious years were great. Um, Joe was a very quiet sort of person. I was just kind of getting, I've been into music, but in, was, I became aware of punk. Uh, I was about 13, my, my parents called me downstairs because the Sex Pistols were on TV. And they were fascinated. They loved them. They were like, look at this, you got to see this, this is great. And because they were spitting and they were telling the interviewer, they wouldn't talk to him unless he gave them 10 bucks. And my parents, being working class people, saw what they were doing. They were, they were monkey wrenching this horrible system that was so fake anyway. It's like the first real thing they'd ever seen. And I think because they grew up in the 50s, they liked them because they had leather jackets, short hair, something yeah. they could relate to. So I was really interested in that and I was kind of branching out and finding music. And then I went to high school with Joe, and I didn't know a lot about Joe. I think I ate at the same lunch table. And one day he hands me his table, this, this would have been like right after New Year's of 1980. And it's like so long 70s, and it was this, this weird sort of like homemade punk tape. And they had all these songs about, uh, supposedly one of the guys that had collaborated, his great-grandfather had written that song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. Uh -huh. So he had the song about reach out and kick that child. I just, it was it was so great. So this is so, music that they had made? Yeah, I mean, made, yeah, yeah, yeah. They would do like Old McDonald, but it's like Old McDonald had a farm, you know, and on that sheep, and on that sheep was Old McDonald. Get off that sheep, McDonald. Just weird, <laughs> you know, something done in their basement. So I, I asked if I could kind of get in on it, and I started working with him. And then I tried to hold it sort of together, the fictitious side, while Joe was in college. And... But we went out one night. What was the concept behind the fictitious? Like that there wouldn't actually oh, be a... the fictitious. And I actually went back for years even when trying to fill in because they had... The fictitious concept was they started off as this sort of family band. I think they were called the Deeks Brothers or something. And over the years, so they start in like the late 50s, almost like a folk, you know, like the Kingston Trio. And then they become, as the 60s go on, they, they go through all these changes. So they... They basically become this huge group called the Sunflower Children of God, which is almost like the Manson family with instruments. Yeah. I actually did a, I made a Sunflower Children of God record or, or, or uh, a tape at the time in the 80s because I couldn't sleep for three days and I had some friends over my house. So we drank a lot of beer and we recorded this whole Sunflower Children of God thing just to fill in that gap, mm -hmm. like, you know, 20 years later or whatever in the, uh, in the, the history. So they, there's a Sunflower Children of God for a while and somehow they become the Milkmen. And then one of them dies, and then they, they take the name Dead Milkman, which is where I come into the story. 
One of them dies for real? Or yeah, no, 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 no. Just in the in, in the, the stories. The, yeah, he okay. died. It was a guy by the name of Richard Nixon uh-huh. in the story. I've heard and, of Richard Nixon. Yeah, Richard Nixon was, well, he took his name from, and I found out later on, Paul America had this problem. Richard Nixon, but in reverse. Paul America changed his name to America, and he would see these from the Andy Warhol factory. He would see these headlines that said, America accused of killing children in Cambodia. And he would think they meant him. And so he would hide in like Warhol's bathroom for like three or four days, where Ondine also lived, oddly enough. So... He, what happened with Richard Nixon was this guy had taken a lot of drugs. He was in the Sunflower Children of God, and he woke up and he couldn't remember his name. So he picked up the newspaper, and Nixon was president at the time. So, he said, oh, Nick, Richard Nixon, that's who I am. And so he, um, he's playing organ on something, and he dies, and his head hits the organ. And Joe would actually make these songs. So you would hear this in the background, and that would be Richard Nixon's dead head on this organ. Mm-hmm. So they become, uh, you know, this is the beginning of the breaking of punk uh, now in, this, in the story. And in, and so it's like 75 or so in the story. And they become, the, they're the milkmen, and then, you know, he dies, and they become the dead milkmen, and that's where I, I came into it. But, I mean, there, there was this incredible backstory, but supposedly, the whole thing, it sort of started from this game, a board game that Joe had created, uh, him and his friend Garth and his family would play, where you would make songs, and then you would roll dice and spin things, and you would try to get your song up the chart. Mm-hmm. So, at one point in the game... All of Joe's songs are about, like, Joe is so wonderful, Joe, and, and Garth's songs are like, you know, I hate Joe, Joe is the scum of the earth, and they would race up and down the charts, and just kind of step into all this was sort of, you know, it was, it was a great world to live in, because you didn't have to strive for fame, and one way, you already had succeeded. We would take, you know, pictures of ourselves, and this is before, obviously, before Photoshop, we crop them out, and we would pretend we played, like, you know, the big reggae sunsplash festival. We, you know, placed ourselves in there, and we write these newsletters, and just, it was, it was, a, it was great practice for being in a band. The fact that he, I mean, alone in rock and roll history, you know, Joe Jack Talcum took a fake band and actually made it a real band. And, and, and I can't think of anybody else that said, all right, you know, I'm going to write stories about this band. Now I'm going to have people populate it. And, you know, you maybe, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about stuff like the Monkees, the Banana Splits, the Archies, which were, you know, made to be synthetic. Band, yeah. yeah. Joe just figured this needed to be. You know, if we didn't exist, somebody had to fill that, that niche. Mm-hmm. So the big band eventually becomes an actual yeah, band. Yeah, it's an actual band, yeah, yeah. which is kind of odd. Yeah, kind of, I guess the monkeys kind of did that. You know, they were they were sort of prefab and then they learned to play. And yeah, it was kind of weird too. Like I, I think that every now and then when I'm on stage, I think, wow, this all kind of started when like Joe writing short stories. I'm, I'm, so I'm, thinking, I'm kind of maybe playing a part or caught up. Maybe, it's, mm-hmm. maybe we're all part of the short story. You're going to stay on good terms with him because you don't want him to kill you in the yeah, story. Well, no, that'd be great if he did, actually. I want to outlive him so I can do Nick Cave's Dead Joe at his at his funeral. I told him that. I'm like, I have a list of stuff I want people to play if I go, you know, mm-hmm. but I thought I, I would, uh, um, yeah, I asked him not to be cremated, but to be buried in a coffin so I can pound like, Dead Joe! <laughs> Jaco Pastoris's father at his uh, funeral played a bongo solo on Jaco Pastoris's coffin. Nice. Yeah, it's a swell family. Uh, okay, so moving on through, yeah. uh, band actually exists. Mm-hmm. Um, you eventually begin to get a fair bit of acclaim. You wind up on. The... Well, there's, there's years and years where we're, where we're not, which were actually good years. Right. There's years and years when you're playing in front of, you know, playing at Abe's Steak in front of a few people. And uh, um, and also, I used to love that because when Punk first started in the city, Chuck Meehan is, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him or not. We have, I have uh, interviewed Chuck, Chuck Meehan is, is the great guy. unsung hero. If I had 
if I was walking down the street and I found $100,000, right? I, oh, look. And I looked up and here came Chuck Meehan. I just handed it to him. I go, here you go, Chuck. I probably owe you more than this. Um, Chuck Meehan used to have a theory about early punk at that time. He called it the brain. He had all these great theories. He called it the brain pain insane theory. That all music at that time, and you have to do it sort of in a Henry Rollins type of voice or, or Glenn Danzig voice. Just, I have a pain in my brain. It's driving me insane. That was every song. Uh -huh. So we come up, and you could only do this in Philly. I mean, that was the music sound everywhere. And in Philly, you would have shows where we would throw like uh, Elbridge Knight the Poet on. We had, you know, the Fabulous Fondas, a rockabilly band. You would have the Proles, a political band. You would have, you know, Decontrol, who were just greatest band on earth. You know, you know, I still, I see them and I'm still amazed. I remember being young and getting, going to get over and visit their apartment. And you feel like, to me, it's, you know, be like meeting the Beatles. We were just like, we were, you know, what, they were showing us how they dropped their garbage back then out the window. You know, it's like Adam and Richie lived in the same house. And we just, we were just amazed by this, you know. Um, but yeah, there were, there were all these like, you know, pre-years that, that, that nobody seems to, you know, realize, but, but I was just talking about the, uh, the whole anger thing. People were mad at first that people were smiling and having fun at a punk rock show. It wasn't their idea of how it should have been. Mm -hmm. But there was really Philly benefited from no rules. You could throw, we didn't give a shit. You know, you would throw anything on a, on a bill and just say, okay, let's have this. And people were just, they were all weirdos. So they weren't going to give anybody on the bill any, any trouble. It was just really a good time. I, I think one of the that. things that comes through some of the interviews yeah. is that there was never really a Philly sound when it came to punk hardcore. No, which is good. Because yeah, so, that, so you have a lot of bands that you, yeah, sound very distinct. You live and die with your sound. I'd rather, it's like we're drinking tea. Tea is, what I, is a slow caffeine. We'll burn on the tea for a lot longer. If we drank coffee, we'd be right now like, yeah, I'm a really good interview. I gotta go to sleep. But, but tea keeps us going. Yeah. It's the Philly thing. I'd rather have a sound my God, you can draw a line from the stick men to black landlord, okay? That's, you know, and, and, and populate that with a thousand great bands in between. Stick the low road in there, all right? Slow-mo, uh, you know, um, my God, I just might, you know, of course, I think Decontrol, Live Not on Evil, everybody saw the other day. Uh, you know, stuff like, uh, um, you know, Das Yahoo's, I mean, just boom, 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 boom. I'm not even getting into, re go into recent history. Go, you know, Psychic Teens. Psychic Teens are fucking loud and angry. Bleeding Rainbow are really good. You know, it, it's, it's, there's, you know, still a good history, great history of bands, and, but there is no Philly sound. Yeah, these are all very distinctive Very sounds. distinctive, yeah. and I'd rather, it's like ca slow caffeine. I'd rather have something that bubbles under than something like Seattle. It's the Seattle sound. No, it isn't. You know, you know, when we're trying to get away from that. You know, as far as, you know, I mean... You know, Assemblage 23, Tom Shearer is up in Seattle, and he's great. I mean, he, he rules, but he's not, you know, like a, a grunge artist. But I think, to me, when I say Seattle sound, I think, oh, Assemblage 23. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we'll go back just oh, a little sorry. bit to when when you started coming into Philadelphia oh, from yeah. the town that you grew up in. Yeah. Um, what were your impressions of Philadelphia? I mean, what were you coming oh, yeah. in for, and what did you think I of the city that. at that time? I missed that Philadelphia. It was, this is was the Rizzo years, which is such a scary time. I mean, they probably you probably heard about, you know, the anxieties between... The you know the police and the uh, um, you know and I was at the Doctor uh, No Show that got raided by the cops. Actually, how I met Chuck Meehan. We were both being um, held down on the ground, assisted to the ground by the police. They didn't want us to. They wanted us to fall gently to the ground. So they they helped us down there. Why why was this happening? What was there was a doctor. There was a Doctor No Show. And let me just preface this by saying my earliest memories of, the, of Philly were it was always dark, oh and always cold. And I still miss. It was like Eraserhead. You know. Yeah. Uh, um, 
Oh, uh, David Lynch talks about how Eraserhead, you know, Philadelphia formed Eraserhead. When I look back, it's totally Eraserhead. Every I see every street is cobblestone, every building is brick and kind of leaning. Um, and I would come in, we would come in for stuff like aut see autistic behavior. Uh, that's a Dean. Um, we met him. I don't think it was at that show, but I think he played uh, the same place, the Landmark Tavern. They they would have these little shows wherever they could. Um, I saw sadistic exploits. I saw Nancy exploit. Bust a beer bottle, or no, a beer bottle, a mug of beer, you know, like take it in her hand mm -hmm. and smash it over some girl's head. I almost fell in love with her on that spot. Like, that's my kind of I woman. Do it, I gravitate towards Leah, Leah, the bad girls. But I mean, I, I, so these were the sort of shows we were going to, and I'm surprised nobody ever kicked our asses at these because we were scrawny, you know, and, mm -hmm. and a lot of these people were very tough. But the Dr. No show stands out in my mind because it was held now up around like what is, I guess, like second, close to around like second in Chestnut, I think. Maybe a little, a little bit north of that, mm -hmm. um, there was a uh, a gallery, like an art gallery, and they decided to have a punk rock show. And it turns out that at what that year time, is this? Do you know approximately? Well, Mayor Green was the mayor, uh, so let's say like yeah, 80, yeah, he's a he's a guy that comes 81? right after Rizzo, I think. Yeah, let's say let's call this eighty. Yeah, I'm in college, I guess, at the time. So let's call this eighty one, maybe eighty two. I think. Okay, and where are you I might have been in high school. College. I went to Westchester University. Okay, so um, so uh, the high school after high school. So the uh, um, we 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 go there, and I can't remember Joe was at that show or not. I know I definitely was because I have this memory. And the cops came and raided it, and this wasn't as quite as bad as Cater Street, but it was it was pretty bad. Cater Street, I think, is still the benchmark of uh, um, police confrontation. Uh, with the uh, uh, punks. Were you at that show? No, I was in a, I, I was on my way to Cater Street and saw people running and turned around and went the other way. Yeah. Um, I missed that one. I missed a couple of them that were pretty bad. Um, but this one I got rounded up at and uh, um, yeah, um, basically helped down, boom, to the ground. And that wasn't, that was actually not the worst encounter I'd had. But the, uh, um, but one of the things that they want, they did at one point was, um, I don't know if anybody's ever told you about Punk Undercover. But Punk Undercover! Oh my God, this is the greatest story of all time. Punk Undercover, man, you better not run out of tape Punk, or, or out of uh, disk space. Punk Undercover were two guys that they had and they wore Sergio Valente leather jackets. All right, so right that there, punk. right <laughs> there, you've blown your cover, right, right? right? And then they had, they would go to, I guess, like, well, before Hot Topic, whatever there was, and they would spray, uh, like, purple into their yeah, hair. Something they could just wash out. Yeah, something they could just wash out. So, we, first, like, you know, but it was a welcoming scene. So you would come up and you would talk to everybody, which is how everybody met. You know, I met uh, Jim from FOD because I was shopping at Third Street Jazz and he saw me looking in the punk section and started talking to me. Uh, same way, I met Alan Elizabeth Fiend, you know, 30 years ago, whatever, because they, oh, look at this weirdo, you know, and mm -hmm. we've all been friends ever since. I mean, that's, you know, that's how people met. So when you saw somebody weird at a show, you wanted to meet them. This was going to be your friend. And so all these guys wanted to do was find out where they could get drugs. But, like, they were asking straight-edge people. They would see an X on a guy's hand yeah. you know, on a minor thread shirt. And they would say, and so we began to have some fun with them, which was uh -huh. we began to give them ridiculous names, you know, for, for, for drugs. So I'd say, hey, you know where we get some pot? You go, listen, man, um, I, I guess you're from, uh, um, you know, you're from D.C., I guess, because, you know, everybody in D.C. just says pot. But um, and and they they would just you know oh yes we're from DC we say pot right um, yeah up here we call it the squiggly do <laughs> watch them go around hey man you know what I could do the squiggly do and they would walk and uh, this was funny um, I guess we did it for I'm gonna say about three or four shows I I I, I tell you as much you get a police sketch artist in here I can I can draw those I can draw those guys I mean I remember them like it was yesterday and this was fine and then they had a show. 
uh, these were the shows that they had down on uh, Broad Street. Uh, at Love Hall. At Love Hall, yeah. And I uh, saw a bunch of bands there. I think the, this was not long after the Meat Men show. I can't remember who was playing. But the cops show up in force. And they bust this show. And they start dragging everybody out. Now, what we did was... Now, was the pretense that it was, what, too too noisy, too many people on the street? Probably or, I mean, too noisy. Probably, you know, under, they said there were underage kids with beer, whatever. You know, again, the punk scene was, you know, we couldn't afford beer. That's how Straight Edge came about. You know, people tell you, oh, Straight Edge was a commitment. Now, Straight Edge was kids that, that were basically, you know, too broke to, you know, too broke to afford cigarettes. You know, too young to, to you know, you get carded if they wanted beer. Or too ugly to get laid. So they said, oh, I'm doing this for a reason. You know, I might as well just put this X on my hand. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, um... Yeah, so they, they came and they busted it. And then what we did was, anybody who looked normal would then run up if they had one of these kids. And you would say, excuse me, officer, that's my younger brother. I was coming here to get him. Uh, you know, and then you say, you know, uh, you know, uh, you try to talk them into taking him. And then, they, you know, you should take him because I'll tell you this much. If I take him home, whatever you do is going to be better than what my parents do. And then they, they would hand the kid over. Yeah. And then you would go and you'd have, I, I, I swear to God, I walked up to this, you know, like really, really dark-skinned African-American kid. Oh, that's my brother right there. <laughs> oh, well, here you go. A brother from another mother. Yeah, enjoy beating him. You know, well, yeah, they, they were probably, you know, I guess you've heard stories about the sort of racist. Uh, yeah, so it was, I mean, you know, you think about how bad. Imagine, you know, a city, people, and, and people treat that time with a, with a sort of glowing nostalgia. Like, oh, it must have been great to live back there. Imagine a time when you could, how bad things are now, you know. Imagine a time when you could not go to the police for help. You literally could not go. They, they, uh, they clean the shit out of that force. I've had people tell me horror stories about what they did to them when they were kids and they would take them into the roundhouse. Um, you know, horrifying stuff. You know, I mean, I know that they've got, you know, definitely still lots of problems now with that force. But that force is nothing like it was here in the late 70s and early 80s. I mean, you really did not, you, you would rather, the, if people were chasing you and they were going to beat you up, which has happened to me a couple of times. It would, uh, I was on my way to see, I think a Decroitson show or something. And a bunch of jocks chased me and I got away from them. And I, I saw a cop, and I thought I could run up to him for help. And I thought, I just better let them catch me and beat me. <laughs> no, I don't want. I don't need a professional beating. Right. I just <laughs> yeah. the amateur beating will be over a lot sooner. Yeah. Right. So yeah, but again, I you know I don't want to draw the picture that every you know last. I mean, we still a lot of there were a lot of cool cops. There were a lot of cops that were interested in the music. Yeah, not, but it yeah. seems like corruption was endemic to. Yeah, it was, it was completely endemic. Yeah, and it probably still is endemic. I mean, you know, it's uh, the LCB. I mean, if you want to, you know, we're saying why weren't there shows? Well, if you knew the hoops that you had to jump through to get a liquor license or to get any sort of license to have a performance. Now when I see stuff like the Fringe Festival, I think, man, that could have never happened back then. You, you put on anything and, and it got shut down. So yeah, it was, it was a, a horrifying time. Mm-hmm. Orwellian. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk yeah. about, uh, when, we do, when I do the, the live presentation, we have a piece of footage of Dead Milkman on MTV. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the club, yeah. The club MTV oh, thing, yeah. which always goes over really well, yeah. uh, and it's completely ridiculous. So I, I thought it's maybe we could kind of explain. they haven't shut you down for that. Yeah, they, they're not really happy. Every time that shows up on YouTube, it disappears. You know the story behind it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah what happened was we had a hit, and it, spawned, it started what was probably the, God, two or three worst years of my life. Because of the yeah, because girl. yeah, because if you think about, first of all, I had nothing. I was certain things I wasn't allowed to, you know. Okay, Rod, you have to leave the studio now, you know. And well, uh, for, um, for well, just I, the band does songs without me, mm-hmm. uh, and they never asked if it was okay. So you know, again, I should have probably said, hey guys, you shouldn't not you know shouldn't have songs without me. But they they have a, a sort of lighter, and they're great guys. I mean, I love them to death. But they have sometimes a little lighter take on music. So they had that. 
And I really, I never liked that song. I love it now. Now I play keyboards on it, you know. I, I, I let's play it three times in a set because it's just, it's something different to me. But at the time, you know, the record company, they have, we have this hit and I'm the angry one who's not on the hit. So they talked to our manager about maybe time to get me out of the band. And I, I don't know if they talked to the rest of the band. I don't know what the deal are. But our manager was basically interested, in, and he's still our manager now, <laughs> um, was basically interested in promoting Joe's career. And that was, you know, we'll get Joe in a movie. We'll get, you know, and uh, um, so... All based upon that particular that popularity. One hit. That song, yeah. yeah, now I've got nothing against Joe. I love Joe to death, man. You know, Joe needs an organ, I'll, you know, a major organ. Uh, I won't give him one of mine, but I'll go out and get one for Wurlitzer him. organ? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, well, like, like a kidney or, or a liver or something. You know, you have two livers, you can give him one. Um, but maybe that's kidneys. But anyway, the... Uh, um, it's the heart. Yeah. What happened was, um, so imagine being me, right? You're the guy that has, like, Stuart. Like, that's that's the sort of song you write, okay? And and to this day, I, I meet two different kinds of people. There's the punk rock girl people who are very nice, and there's the Stuart people who are very dark. And they're a lot of fun to meet. I mean, it's, it, they're, they're all... A lot of them are now in bands, and it's super cool. But we... Um, what happens is they, they come to us and they say... Um, we would like you to be on Club MTV. Now, I think I'd be, I was the only one ever seen Club MTV. And the only reason to be on Club TV was really because Julie Brown was pretty. That was it. There's no other reason to go I on. I guess you should probably explain maybe what that is for those oh, who yeah. don't for those really who know. Don't know like, Club MTV, MTV was, doesn't really play was music a show anymore, that so. was on yeah, in the afternoon. They don't do this anymore. Uh, long before TL, TLR or all, all that stuff where they would... It basically, it was kids dancing. They would play music. It was like American Bandstand where they would play music and kids would dance. It was uh, hosted by this stunning woman named uh, Julie Brown. Not the Julie Brown, the, the comedian Julie Brown, who sang, I'm a blonde, yeah, 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 yeah. The this other the Julie downtown, Brown. Right? Downtown Julie Brown. And, uh, um, but the show was horrible. And she used to say, wubba, wubba, wubba was her catchphrase. It's definitely not, if you're a punk rock band, so imagine me, I'm like the most punk rock person on the planet, you know. <clears throat> and um, they, um, they asked us to be on the show. So I know this is kind of the beginning of the end of my life. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, we'd rather not go on, on MTV. You know, we'd rather, you know, or I say, I, I really, I'm not comfortable with this. And they, the they, video was in rotation. Yeah, though, the video was in rotation, rotation. Yeah, and the, uh, um, they come back and they say, there's a young, there's a woman at the record company who'd been assigned to get us on MTV, and she said, look, I'll be honest with you, I could lose my job if you don't do this. Well, now somebody's, you know, this is this is the fun world of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Now somebody's job is on the line. Can't let her get fired. So what are we going to do? Around this time, I started getting fascinated because we started getting invited to industry events, mm-hmm. and I like to sabotage them. So I started doing this thing with rubber worms, where I get these rubber fishing worms, and we went to we were like this Gavin event, and we met Tiffany, and I had I, I shook her hand. We were all trading badges. So there was like Vernon Reed from um, Living Color, who's a great guy, awesome guy. Uh, he traded with me. I traded with Mo Berg, who was in the band. Uh, they were big for a while called Pursuit of Happiness. There was a um, a Hope from Fetching Bones. We all trade. So I think I was wearing Hope from Fetching Bones badge. Because if I'm going to do something, I'm not going to be the one to go to jail. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I, we used to like, uh, when we'd be somewhere and Gibby from the Butthole Surfers was, because you go, all right, Gibby will go to jail. You know? Yeah, well, yeah we'll, we'll blame it on Gibby because, yeah. So we trade up and then I meet Tiffany and I, and I go to shake her hand and I have all these rubber worms. So I pull back and she's, she's like having a meltdown. Yeah! <laughs> and my friend Matt whips out this like little loudspeaker where he's taking it was like, Tiffany's head has exploded and they <laughs> shuffle us out. Right, boom, boom, boom. So I'm like, all of a sudden, I think, all right, we got to do the rubber worms, but bigger. So we get a friend of ours, Chris Kosha, who's a comedian, to come up with us. And we come up, and we've got like a bass amp that is a cardboard box with bass, B-A-S-E, written on it. Nothing, of course, because, you know, you have to lip sync. Nothing's plugged yeah. in. I've got a tuba, um, and we, we, we do the, the song. But we've got, Chris is behind the thing. He's got, I'm going to say we bought 
15, 20 pounds. And that, I might be, it might have been as many as 50 of these rubber worms. I mean, it was, it was every cent we had was spent on the rubber worms. So they, they film you doing it once. Okay, now we're going to film you doing it again. So they start, he starts hurling these things over. And they don't, they don't see it coming. Mm -hmm. The kids start picking them up and throwing them. Now they're getting in Julie Brown's Because it's shot in, in front with an audience. With an audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. So these kids are like, they're, they're trying to find like kids that look punk rock to kind of slam dance during yeah. Punk Rock Girl. And the worms are going everywhere and Julie's not happy. Her kids are throwing worms at her. And so she comes up and she, it's cut. But I just remember going, stop throwing the fucking worms. And I'm like, yes, yes. Um, somebody later on on the crew told us they'd been on the show for a year and a half and it was the only good day they ever had. So that's great. Now she wants to get out of there and talk to us and get out of there. Dave Blood, in one of the great Dave Blood moments, is type is tapping this fake mic going, hey, this thing doesn't work. You know, this doesn't work. So I have with me um, handcuffs and I go, oh, why not? And I, I take, and I've got two keys. I always have two two keys if you have handcuffs. Now, were you carrying handcuffs with I you I used to carry handcuffs with me everywhere, yeah. Okay. So I handcuff myself to Julie Brown, and uh, and she's, like, she's talking to somebody. She doesn't see it. Boom, they're on. I've got two keys. This is what you don't say, all right? So so this producer comes over. You know, he's trying to get the key from me, right? Because I go, oh, here's the key, here's the key. I, what they don't know, I got another in my back pocket, right? Uh -huh. So I hurl this key, and now she's freaking out. She's, ah, and the guy's like, so I'm like, well, I, I go, like, you know, they're threatening to bring in the cops and everything. So I'm like, well, I don't, we got, you know, we came up from D.C. We're playing two shows in D.C. Come up, do New York, go back to D.C. So they, um, you know, the guy's like, well, I'm like, I got another, I'm trying to get the one out of my back pocket, but I can't quite reach it because I'm, you know, handcuffed to this woman. I'm reaching around. It's in the wrong pocket. So he's got his hand in my pocket. So there's this weird little train going through this crying Julie Brown and me it was it was a great chance to sabotage and I'm so proud that we did it I'm so proud that we didn't play the game and go on and just do what they wanted us to do which and people said well you were banned from MTV you could you could be like you know like a millionaire and I'm thinking you know what yeah but I, I've got when, when I go like this little I had nothing to do I, I didn't I didn't play on that song didn't write the song you know the song almost really ruined my life but I had this great little moment that I was part of and 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 bless the other guys um, you know, so they were fully on board with, they were with fully on board with okay. bless the other guys you know you can tell you know a lot of people think oh it's not a punk rock song those guys those guys that's a good idea great let's do it you know mm -hmm. we shouldn't be on this show. So, you know, that that is, you know, I love them to death for that. That was a, a ballsy move on, on the part of all three of them. All three of them said, and we still today turn down shitloads of money um, for, you know, for, for, you know, we'd like to use this song in, in you know, this big oil industry ad or whatever. We're like, oh, we'd like you to kiss our balls. Has it's, it been used you know, in anything before? Have you allowed uh, out? Um, we allowed stuff to use uh, movies. They wanted to use it for a film, but it didn't wind up in it. Um, we, we allow our stuff to use if we generally, you know, like the concept or whatever. They wanted, I, I, Vince Vaughn's a good actor. I thought he was going to wear it, but he was in a film. They wanted to have a Dead Milkman shirt in it. And, and yeah, we let him do that. And um, do they pay you when the... In yeah, the usually, well, they didn't pass for that. Usually, if they're going to wear a shirt, they just ask for permission. If they use your music, yeah, they usually pay you. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really get used. I think we're on the It's Pat soundtrack. <laughs> which is, yeah, you know, which is, it's actually we have the script for it, the original script for it here somewhere. Uh, Adam Bernstein directed it. 
a friend of ours, and he uh, Ween are fantastic in that. You know, I played with the Ween scene. Very. Uh, um, I've un- never seen the movie un- before, underrated but... film. Underrated. Yeah. The review was it's bad. And uh, apparently some little kid came was going around telling people he'd seen it not to go see it. I don't think it's it's not definitely not the worst film you ever see. It's worth seeing for for the scene involving Ween. Um, it's not great. Dave uh, Foley is fantastic in it, and uh, but. Uh, um, yeah, that's uh, that's sort of our our film career. We we had other offers, but our manager uh, never got back to us. <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> so, so, but it could have been it could have not worked out. So mm-hmm. it could have been worse. You know, I think they wanted us to be in Ford Fairlane, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. I'm glad we didn't do that. Oh, with uh, with, with, with Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah, yeah. Well, now there, every now and then there's a uh, you know there's a great thing about not being in any any of you know when you see these official punk documentaries. Um, you know, or anything, any history of punk, the, the the people that write those, Stalin would have been so proud. You know, it's so Orwellian. Like, what gets chopped out? They had this, like, American hardcore film, and I'm watching it, and actually I saw my friend Dave Brookman. I saw him, and I think I saw the show Joe and I were at, which was the uh, when Bo- the Boston bands came down here. So you had SSD Control and a bunch of bands. I think you can actually see uh, Joe in the audience. So I got I got a freeze frame. But what was cut out was amazing. You know, social distortion didn't fit the mold. So that's out. Tex and the Horseheads, who I think were probably, I still say they were the greatest punk rock band, American punk rock band of the 80s. I've uh, never heard of them. they never heard of them. Yeah. That's the thing. Looked them up. I saw them open for the Minutemen here in Philly, and I was blown away by them. And again, they, they, were, they were sort of a weird you know, band. They, but they, they, these are the bands that get cut out, and these are the bands that you, you, know, you generally don't get to. You never see Killdozer in any of this stuff, and Killdozer were one of the bands that was really big influence on me. You know, there, there was these were people that when you toured, these are people's houses you stayed in. Mm-hmm. These are people you played shows with. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was what, with. We played the pig farm with in uh, um, out in Texas. But I mean, just you know, you have these bonding experiences, and then you know, these people get, get decent jobs, and you don't hear from them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's part of the problem with those kind of documentaries is that for younger people who weren't there. They're going to get this this history and history. take it as being oh this this is the truth yeah, and these the are the bands yeah. to look into and the, yeah there is so much left yeah, out. Yeah, I always tell young people don't bother with that because you're you're kind of like the kid that I always say skip that. Here's a bunch of great new bands. You know, here's uh, the the um, the new Crystal System record is fantastic. The new Crystal System record is better than than ninety nine point nine percent of the punk and it draws from a lot of punk. It, it was out there, right? You know, don't be the kid that I went to high school with who in the 70s was into the music from the 60s, 60s and trying right, to play yeah. catch-up. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Don't be the guy who in the 80s was, you know, like trying to catch up with Led Zeppelin and stuff. You know, if you miss something, it's perfectly okay. A lot of kids play catch-up, but they do it very quickly, which is fine. You know, they realize there's a history of subculture, so they go through this thing. Within one year, they start listening to, like, this, the 50s jazz that was subversive, and it takes them through Dylan, and then they go through Dylan through, you know, the doors, and then they, you know, the pistols, and they come out. You know, boom! They catch up with with the stuff that's out there now, um, which must be great when they hit rap. You know, the early like Schooly D must completely explode heads. There's a guy that got screwed from being from Philly. Schooly mm-hmm. D invented gangster rap. One of the best rappers in the world. Um, Schooly D and I got thrown out of a recording studio together. Um, For what reason? We got drunk and took down a Hooters um, gold record and signed it. <laughs> That's great. Somebody thought this was a good idea. Somebody thought saw Schooly D and I sitting together talking in a because uh, I'm a huge Schooly D fan. Um, so, so we almost made a record together. I had this great idea for a record because at that time rap was breaking, but it was like you know the sort of you know wimpy vanilla ice 
type rap and stuff. And so uh, the idea was this guy comes, he drives up, and he flags down Schooly D's because he sees a black person. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, my kids are into the whole crazy rap thing and everything. And, and Schooly D sends him, like, up to the Badlands and tells him, you know, like, yeah, um, you know, because knock on the door and ask for crack. You know, Philadelphia, Liberty Bell, it's got a crack. Mm-hmm. And we should I would have loved to, to have done that with him. But somebody saw us talking about that and said, let's go get these fellas some beer. And then let's give them beer, like, you know, like a case of beer. Uh-huh. And then let's leave them alone for a while. Like why did they? Yeah, here's some kerosene and some matches. Uh, Maybe would you boys like a blowtorch? And so yeah, so I don't remember who looked up at this. They actually told the story in the in the documentary when they came here. I remembered, and they were freaking out. They were like, you know, um, but uh, one of us looked up at this gold record and said, you know, we should sign that. Is it all you zombies? I don't know what it was. We we brought it down. Brought it down. You know, signed uh, like wrote on something like. You know, like, thanks for the corn job, I think it was. Or something absolutely obscene, you know. And we put it back up. All right, boom, okay. And we're sitting there. We think, oh, it'll sit there for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And when they're taking the studio apart a hundred years from now, somebody will look at this. What the or, fuck? You know, <laughs> yeah. Ten minutes later, some guy comes walking through, like an engineer or something, and just stops and looks up and goes, that is not cool, that is not cool. And I was just like, yeah, I get it, you know, and, and, and you know. So, and we, uh, uh, I think Schooley also then said, no, I, it was like, I'm Spartacus, I'm Spartacus. And uh, yeah, I got it, that is not cool, that is, and they cleaned it, they had, first it was fresh enough, they cleaned it off, and I got a more, that is not cool, that is not cool, so yeah. I can tell you feel really bad about this now. I, I do, because I, it is being a jerk. I wouldn't want somebody, right, I wouldn't want somebody from like, uh, um, I'm trying to think about like, uh, um, I wouldn't like, like Prometheus, Prometheus Burning, cooler band than the Milkman. I wouldn't somebody from Prometheus Burning sitting there looking at uh, like a Milkman record and going, Hey, punk rock girl, who and gone, you know, and and then you know, but you're not going to care for that song. On that. Uh, it wasn't well, no, 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 yeah, it's true. I, well, yeah, but even if it's even if it's one of the, the ones I was sort of responsible for, I don't want them going, you know, and, and uh, actually, you know what? I don't care. I don't have a gold record. I'm never going to have a gold record. Fuck it. Yeah, right off, right off my shit. Go ahead. If you're in Prometheus Burning and you're listening to this and you see a Milkman record, feel free to write on that shit. Scroll all over it. That goes for Iman. That that goes for yeah, Ego Likes anybody. Go ahead, write on it. I don't care. God sickles. All right, so we'll move into yeah. into the now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you do many projects. I mean, Dead Milkmen still mm-hmm. exist. There yeah, was there to be was my a hiatus. Main project. Yeah, and then all right, so yeah. do you consider that your main project? Yeah, it or? should be. It should be. I, I, if okay. you're a musician, I think you should. I, I try not to get. I, I work with a lot of other people, and I, I draw a lot from it. And only, one of the reasons I work with a lot of people is nobody wanted to work with me here in Philly forever. You know, I got really. I had a rough life here. And what, uh, what was the reason? For people that? were mean to me. Well, there were. Um, there's a couple genres of types of music here, and then there's sort of people that are very talented, and well, sort of. Ta- I call I like to call them the um, moderately talented uh, offspring of the privileged class. But you know, I'm like a rough working class guy. If you're gonna, would you rather work with me or would you rather work with Joe, who is a super nice guy, great musician, and you know, and and isn't gonna go to your house, drink a bunch of beer, and piss in the wrong place. And they just, I just got cold shoulder for a long time wasn't in, involved in projects so i started meeting people projects I'm like i can't believe it. these are people i really like you know i can't believe you want to work with me or hang out this is this is killer for me i was i got to do i'm a huge live non evil fan i got to do a live non evil song but my general theory is you should never take money i, I have a rule where I, I try not to take any cash or anything if i work on something and it makes money because then that distracts you from your your main project i try to make milkman 
almost like a 24-7 thing. I have is a, that your main job? I mean, do you no, have no, a straight... No, 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 no. I wish it was my main job. No, I have. I work for a living. I have a, um, I work for a, um, a finance company, a financial firm. Like, one of the country's oldest... Finan- There's a scary thought. One of the country's <laughs> oldest financial firms has me working for it. So, yeah, but I... Uh, um, no, but I have a thing I do. Um, I picked this up from, from Zug from Angel Spit, which is a thing. I, I had a separate version of it, but he refined it. I use his version called Church that I do Monday night where you shut off all social media and you brew tea and you get ready for this. I used to do it on Friday night and I would drink wine. And I came up with a lot of interesting keyboard sounds. One getting a lot done for a while. Uh, what I do is then for like about three or four hours that night, I just work on music. And I try to make it mainly Milkman stuff. Every now and then if there's a break in it, I'll, I'll, um, I like remixing stuff for people. I got to work um, with uh, Crud Bump recently, which was actually one of the ones I, I got paid for. That that made some money. And I usually have a rule. I said, don't get paid, but they kept insisting. So I was like, okay, you can you know, put the PayPal. Do, do you think it. that the money somehow compromises your No, no, no. It doesn't thing. compromise I mean, your artistic thing. It's, it stops you from being... If you start taking money for other stuff, then you stop doing your main thing. And your main thing, you stop giving your best songs. People start doing solo stuff. I'm really opposed to solo stuff because then they start, that becomes their thing. And they're skipping practice. You know, we can't practice on this night because I'm playing in front of eight people, you know, at the, you know, you know, I, you know I'm playing kazoo in front of eight of my neighbors. And just, mm-hmm. you know, I get really livid about that. And, and I, I try to, you know, I think you've, if you've got the band and people are paying, you know, see, you know, what happens is people start saving their best songs for their solo stuff. And that's, uh, um, you know, you, you begin to have your, your records, nothing but B-sides, you know, stuff you cast off. If, I'm gonna, if I've got something good, it's gone out there. Somebody, if I'm doing something for somebody else, I've got a good, great idea, which keeps me going. We did a thing, um, Caustic and the Gosticles did a thing called the, the Causticles. And they put a record out and they asked me to remix something. And I had Joe, uh, got to, got him in on it and had him do a vocal. It was about this rapper with a Facebook page because somebody showed me this story of this family that you know was investing everything in their son's rap career. And like, he's got it together. He's even got a Facebook page. He's got like 136 likes, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you, know, you see it, you see the train wreck coming before they do. So I had this song and I got brought Joe in on that. And that was a lot of fun. I, I, I love remixing people's stuff. I love doing that, but I know and um, did a thing for... Um, for uh, uh, oh god, um, a Ludovico technique, and I got Vienna to sing on that. That to me is a lot of fun. But I also know, okay, it can't become everything. That's what I love about music scene now. And about music scene now, everybody plays on everybody else's record. You know, uh, Daniel Graves from um, Aesthetic Perfection will go and he'll remix something for you know Caustic. Caustic will show up here. Uh, you know, Iman will work with Ivarden Sphere. It, it'll be it becomes this huge mishmash. You know, Black Black Ops. Or an incredible band. They do these really good remixes of people's stuff. I just like the fact that it, it's so blurred. It's almost, you know, when the way punk was with people sleeping on each other's couches, only now it's like a remix culture. It's, it's, it's I think it's a, it's a nice, you know, camaraderie. I, I love it when you can't tell where one project ends and another one begins. To me, that that's awesome. It also screws up the, if you try to draw lines from how people mm-hmm. know each other. Yeah, the family tree. Yeah. It just all goes back to Kyle Cassidy. That's my other theory. Every line leads back to Kyle Cassidy. That's another thing I was trying to explain to people. That takes hours to explain. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of people I know, I know through him and, and Vienna went to school with him. So, okay. Yeah. He's like the secret. The secret. Start drawing lines. Just pick a point and start. And it's like, there used to be a guy, I can't remember the guy's name. It was a white collar criminal. He's been part of the Nixon administration, but every eventually every white collar crime I think was traced back to him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's pretty present. Oh, yeah, was it Vesco? I forget the guy's name, but he was yeah. Like one day they're going to find out. So yeah. 
So it seems like you're always kind of moving forward with these projects. I don't imagine that there's a lot of nostalgia moving. No, it shouldn't be. For, I can't. Know. I can't stand that. Mm-hmm. I, I really. I mean, I think it's sad when you know if you're if uh, 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 you if you stop being. And I've got no. I've got really. I can't say anything against it. But the thing is this: if you're a, a punk band, then you move forward. You don't stop and say you know, the, the Pixies. I, I love the Pixies, but they had they played their their record. Um, well, uh, Doolittle. And they, you know, people paid to see them, and people were like, it was great. They looked so bored on stage. I mean, at what point did we say as punks that this was going to be okay? You know, at what yeah, point yeah. did we say? And, and again, it's I think uh, it's a problem I have with a lot of people my age. So they kind of stopped. You know, they say, well, I'm really into music. I'm really into the scene. And you know, and I think, well, yeah, but you you'll go to see you know a reunion of a band that was around 30 years ago. And that's fine. I love these bands. Yeah. But when I go out to you know the club to see a new band, you're not there. Yeah. You know. Well, there'll be people who say like. Yeah. All good music stopped in pick the year. Yeah, you know, nineteen sixty eight, nineteen seventy two. If you say I can't find any music I like right now, you're, you're really you say either A, I'm too lazy to look for it, or B, I don't know how to use a fucking computer. And a lot know, of great I, beard bands around though. Well, like, what? A lot of great beard bands. Well, around. Sh- you know, I don't get me going. That's that's my whole. <laughs> that's my anger. It's like I don't care. You know, you can have your 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 shoegazing beard band. That's fine. But why does that detract? You know, from why why can't a, a really good band come to town and get a show? I mean, you can't because there's everybody's off seeing the, the, the you know the shoegazing beard band, and that's 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 what my problem, and that's what we were talking about before. I think that you uh, um, you know part of the problem is people say, oh, Philly scene, man, it's not very good. Well, you get the fucking scene you deserve. Uh, again, Angel, great Angel Spit uh, lyric as the scene which, uh, from a song is the scene sucks because you suck, you killed it. You know, if you can't complain about a music well, scene somewhere, if you're not going to get... I understand people have kids, they get jobs, they don't have time. That, that's fine. You know, I believe me, I understand or whatever. But the thing is, it, it, get out and try to see a new band. I, I, I Again, there's so... I keep telling people it's the same thing over and over again. You're living in a golden age of underground music. The the tree is just ripe. I mean, there's stuff out. There's witch house bands out there that would just blow your fucking mind. You know, there's um, you know, there's all sorts of industrial branches off from industrial. You know, people. I can't hear. I can't understand people who grew up listening to punk, listening to some Ibarden sphere, and not loving it. When people come over again, it's Kyle Cassidy story. Kyle Cassidy was sitting right where you are, except we were drinking wine, and I had on the Ibarden sphere thing, and he was like, "Who is this?" And I'm like, "It's Ibarden sphere." And he whips out his iPhone. I'm so glad to live in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Whips out his iPhone, goes to the store, Apple store, and down, you know, buys it. I'm so glad that you can do that. I was on a plane with Dean. I'm a big fan of a band called Rome uh, out of Luxembourg. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Rome are a great band. Don't mm-hmm. confuse it with the other Rome from the guy from Sublime. Uh, no, 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 no. Apparently, there's another room. No, this is kind of the depressing. Yeah, kind of yeah, like not depressing. I, I think it's, it's, well, we covered a song of theirs. Uh, um, uh, it was uh, we, uh, Low Rebel Mind. We had Audrey from Ex Friends sing on, it and, and a lot of fun to do. But I love them. I get everything. I have everything they've done. I, I get try to get my hands on it. And we were flying somewhere, and I was talking about the dean about like, oh man, you know, I have to wait till I get back to go to the ferret to get you know the new Rome CD. And Dean's like, well, why don't you just Buy it off of iTunes, and my head almost exploded right there. A, you're in a you're in a plane going 600 miles an hour through the air, which to yeah. me, I didn't fly until I was like in my 20s. You know, yeah. I just, I'm not you know somebody who started flying when they were a baby. I, I can't wrap my head around that. But also the fact that I can go on my phone and get music when I wanted punk rock music, I couldn't get it in my hometown. I had to go over to Westchester, 
And I had to go to a record store that was run by hippies who didn't want to sell you punk rock. Yeah. Their job was like they were trying to, it was like the, the people who try, they won't sell, the pharmacists that won't sell women the morning after pill, mm -hmm. they were trying to talk you out. Have you heard this Credence <laughs> record instead? Yeah, no, not Credence. I love Credence. My dad was Credence. But it was more like they had all these Grateful Dead bootlegs. And why are you listening to that angry music? And then when they sold it to you, if they sold you a Black Flag record, they charged you as an import. And you say, well, this is from California. No, you know, all punk rock comes from the UK. And you're just, ah! You know, here's, all right, here's my fucking money. I just want this. I remember, God, the damn greatest hits when I was young, having to jump through so many hoops to get my, my hands on that. And some people say, well, you know, maybe that's why people don't appreciate music now. You know, they don't have to jump through the hoops to get it, but... Just the fact that I can, you know, there's there's this, once you're turned on to this stuff, you're like, holy shit, you know. Even a lot, of, I love BMB Nation. I think BMB Nation are a punk rock band. I don't like the fact that people say this is future pop or this is goth or this is industrial. To me, this is all punk rock. You know, if it's good and it's angry and it's subversive and it's just, or it's just well made, it's punk rock. You know, Amanda Palmer is a punk rock singer. I mean, I don't care if she just did the thing up in Lincoln Center with all the people there and all that. No, she is there. She wants to fuck shit up. Mm -hmm. Okay, she's punk rock. BNB Nation are punk rock. You know, B first of all, you know, uh, singer from BNB Nation looks like me, only a little bit heavier. You should never be fronting a band. <laughs> uh, I saw them live at uh, the TLA. A girl passed out up front. Right? They handed her up on stage because he saves her. He basically saved her. I mean, you know, he carries her off, and and she had passed out. She, I mean, everybody's pressed forward. Who knows what could happen to her? So, and they bring her out. She's later on, so she's fine, you know, in between songs. And she gives him a kiss on the cheek. And I'm, I don't know, 25, 30 feet back, but I can see him turn red. You know, it's like, the, uh, he's a guy from Ireland. He's pale anyway, but he goes yeah. really red. And I thought, that's very punk rock in the sense that no punk rocker would have known what to do if a girl kissed him on stage. Right. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you have no, no sex life. Yeah, boot in the head. Yeah, boot in the head, you can accept. And I thought, it, and first the whole thing, it's just, it was just so, you know, the, 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 everything was just aimed to the audience and, you know, his, his speeches that he would give to the audience and not lectures the way Joel Biafra would, but just little things about how to have fun at the show. You know, how to, you know, you just got to keep jumping up and down if you don't know the words, just make something up. He's like, I don't know the words, you know. Mm -hmm. And just the, the, the attitude of it. I just, when I I see a lot of bands, and I think, my God, this is punk rock, but I couldn't get, you know, old punk rock people to come see this. I keep, you know, I'll espouse it, and then they, they'll say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I really like music, I really like the scene, but, you know, how about the show? Well, you know, I, I don't really know anything about it, so, you know. But I think, you know, go out and, and find, you know, there's so many fucking... You know, I, I tried to do it, and I, I gotten slow at it, and I need to get back to it. I used to print, like, every day, or tweet every day, you know, here's a band that you should know. And, and cover a lot of ground. If you don't, if it's not a punk rock band, my, you know, I, I, again, we talk about people I consider punk rock. I consider MC Lars punk rock. Sage Francis is punk rock as shit, man. You know, um, there's a, a Scroobius Pip. You know, these guys are rappers, but they're 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 they picked up when rap kind of went corporate. You know, early rap. You know, when you have your your Schooly D, when you've got your uh, public uh, um, public. Uh, um, Enemy, you know, you got the really hardcore NWA, that wonderful dangerous rap, that got compromised. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, rappers rapping about how big their cars are and everything. Mm -hmm. And these guys picked that up and they said, we're going to, I think Sage Francis's um, Makeshift Patriot should be held as one of the greatest punk rock songs of all time. 
He did it right after 9-11. He put it out there for free. The lyrics are incredible. And he kind of predicted everything that was you know, going to happen from the media perspective. And how. And it's a hard, It's up there. And when they talk about great punk rock songs, it should be like God Save the Queen, Blank Generation. Throw it in there with that. You know, it's, it's amazing. But again, you know, it's, it's really, really hard. And I understand, you know, people, you know, I don't have kids. This is, this is my hobby. And for the same reason, if my hobby were model trains, and I would be angry because somebody didn't know, you know, this HO scale, the HO scale thing. But again, it's not like HO scale. Again, with the with the uh, um, the sort of pleasant hipster music, it's not like HO scale is keeping you from buying an N gauge train. Mm-hmm. HO scale totally dominates the world. So I guess to sum up, yes. um, I mean, Sorry. some some of this uh-huh. you kind of no no no. Some mm-hmm. of this you kind of yeah. you touched on, but yeah. okay. So you have no kids, but yeah. you perform in front of people sometimes who are significantly younger than oh you. Oh my god, a lot younger. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do you ever feel that there are certain ideas? And I know that you probably kind of detailed some of these already, yeah. but certain ideas or seeds that you want to plant in the head. Oh yeah, of, I of try young to, people. I, I try to all the time now. I try to make up for the times when I was just a drunken idiot on stage, or I would just be trying to be funny or stuff like that. No, I try to without being preachy. Um, that's the thing. I mean, do you think in yeah. part you're, you're looked at as a role model to some, I hope to not. some degree? I hope not. But anybody yeah. who puts themselves before No, I people. think what happens is they keep making weirdos. They keep making people that that are outcasts. If you're an outcast, you look to other outcasts just to see that things... Um, I almost... It's weird because you know, Dan Savage had that great It Gets Better thing. And I actually almost said something like that. And I wish I had it this in one of our shows because, um, I, I, first of all, I could take credit for the whole It Gets Better thing. But mm-hmm. I wanted to you know, tell the kids, you know, look, you're, you get picked on in high school. You get, you know, it, now I feel I do have a, um, a sort of responsibility to say something at least intelligent or at least point them you know, towards some other sort of culture that they might enjoy. You know, I, I love to talk about other bands on stage, uh, which nobody else ever does. Um, I always said that when they interview people, they should say, a musician, they say, okay, what was the last show you went to see? What was the last piece of music you bought? Mm-hmm. Um, when they, you know, so I try to tell them that, but I also try to basically, you know, convey the message that you're going to win in the end. You know, if you're a weirdo sort of freak, nobody ever becomes a good sailor on a comm C. You will, if you can internalize this and make it through to a certain point, if you're having bad teenage years, but if you can get into a college, my God, the weirdos rule the college. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing they forget to tell, because when you talk about getting bullied by jocks, when it turns around, you get to intellectually bully jocks in college. So, you know, yeah. um, not every jock is, no, obviously my, my best friend in co- was my roommate in college, a football player, uh, an intellectual, but I'm just saying, the people that, that bully you either don't, that that's their, their greatest years. They've got a couple great years in high school, and it just doesn't work out. You know, it's just... To me, it's absolutely, it's a message that kids don't get enough or they get it the wrong way or somebody just needs to come along and, and basically tell them that it's okay to rebel, for one, that, that's, that should be the natural state of things. That if you, you know, worry, about, worry about the kids. If I had a kid, if I had a child and he was dressed all in black and depressed and in his room all the time, I'd know he was okay. You know what I mean? Because that that makes sense to me. But if I had a kid who was really happy about the state of the world, like, hey, everything's going fine, this is really good, you know, then I, I would probably have him institutionalized. Mm. Which, but I, I, I should tell this because I, 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 don't think, I don't think I've ever managed to tell it on where it got recorded, but if I did, I'm, I'm uh, echoplexing and repeating myself. But uh, BMB, the last time they were here, our manager, of course, booked the show for us that same night, so I didn't get to see him. I went to the after party. My friend Octavio was there, and he introduced me to this young lady. And she's like, it was my friend Rodney. She's like, Rodney from the Milkman? And I'm like, yeah. She, was, she told me a story, but when she was 15, her parents thought she was crazy. And they put her, you know, they took her to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist talked to her for 10 minutes and said, 
you know, oh, listen, you're uh, nothing wrong with you. Here's some Dead Milkman CDs. Actually, I told this in the Joe Pinkushin thing. And to me, that's my Grammy. I'll never get a Grammy, mm-hmm. but I've got that that sort of story. So that's the same sort of thing. I think that that's the job that you fill for young people. You kind of let them know, like Frank Zappa did for me and stuff like that. You kind of let them know, look, you know, there are other weirdos out there. You yeah. know, it's, it's terrific to be that way. So I imagine it must be sort of immensely gratifying that you begin with a band that doesn't actually exist. Exist. Yeah, you're right. And then you get to the point where you can <laughs> actually put your thoughts into people's heads yeah uh, and and in as much as possible a sort of a positive yeah and it's way. weird too it's, it's it kind of came about like the sort of pauses and stuff because there was an equipment thing joe doesn't like to speak publicly if he, if he speaks publicly joe says like four words that are brilliant you know make mm-hmm. you laugh your ass off all, you know he did it on the ride back from westchester night he was just being Typical Joe, where somebody would say, you know, he was talking about his sixteen-year-old uh, niece had been there, and Dan Mapp, who's a sound guy and a great friend, tour manager, is driving, and and, and Dan goes, starts seeing lines from she's sixteen, he's like, oh, you know, she's peaches and cream, lips like strawberry wine, and without missing a beat, Joe goes, you know her? And I'm just like, you know, we almost swerve off the road. He, he's just perfect that way. But the uh, um, if I get a pause, I just out of years of nervous speaking, I just start speaking, and I look back, I hear. Some of the things I was just saying on stage before, I think, what a waste of stage time. You know, you only get so much time. I used to get mad at performers. I still do performers. You know, I really used to hate Michael Jackson. I'm not, not a big Michael Jackson fan. But here's a guy, an African-American, that had the ear of the world. And what did he use it for? You know, to talk about how much he really wanted to build his own Pirates of the Caribbean. He was up there on, on a stage. He, with was, Ron- he wasn't black for too long either. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, he didn't bother. He didn't commit to that. He's on stage with Ronald Reagan. And Ronald Reagan's like, you know, give some TLC to the PYTs. And he's like, oh, thank you, President Reagan. I'm thinking, I'd have had my gloved hand and my other hand around Reagan's neck. I would have taken him out. I would have, seriously, I'll probably have the Secret Service here tomorrow for that. But no, I mean, how can you be a performer? How can you, and, and particularly an African American performer, considering what you know Ronald Reagan's policies were and just not you know sit there and just smile and act like an ass while he I think trickle down actually worked for Michael Jackson and that's yeah I think it did he was the one guy yeah he was he was totally the one guy yeah Yeah. Uh, after that Reagan was kind of like well yeah look the other way while he builds his own private Disneyland (laughs) and then we got to see what was inside of there when they were about ready to have that auction it was horrifying but yeah Ben oh what's his name from uh, I forget Ben's last name from Infomania I had a great line about that because he got in to see it. Uh, he was one of the few press people when they were going to have the auction. Of Mike, Michael Jackson was still alive at the time, um, and uh, um, they were going to auction off a bunch of his stuff. So he goes in there, and he had the great opening line, which was, "Unless you're a ten-year-old boy, this will be your only chance to see Michael Jackson's junk." <laughs> that was great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I guess right. we'll probably uh, oh, sorry, yeah, no, yeah, we'll wrap it up. And I, yeah, I have, I have some stuff I got to do for Live Not on Evil, so I have to, I have to. Uh, um, I love I Kevin get Miller. Some, get some sound effects for them. So, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Well, you thank should, you very much for oh, thank uh, you. talking to me. I enjoyed it. Yes. All right. You can't see we're shaking hands. <laughs> uh, in hell. <laughs>